You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to be able to welcome to the program Ilyas Aslavsky, a researcher for a Free Russia Foundation. Uh, Ilya, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, uh, Yuri. Good to be back. Wonderful. Well, let's first get an update on the, uh, the project that uh, kind of th- thrusted you into this spotlight, and that is, as a graduate of Oxford University, um, you have been lobbying uh, that the university should stop, as you say, selling its reputation and prestige to Putin's associates. Uh, and that's really in return for uh, Russian oligarchs looking to place millions of dollars of ill-gotten money in the West through uh, various uh, good cause foundations. How has that been going? Um, Well, uh, since our last talk, uh, we received uh, some more um, feedback from university under freedom of information requests. And uh, uh, essentially, uh, you can ask through through those um, uh, compulsory uh, legalized uh, legal requests, you can ask the university to send um, their internal exchanges. Uh, so uh, we asked um, uh, to have uh, all, the, <clears throat> all the exchanges that they had internally on um, b- before and after my um, uh, public letter to Vice Chancellor Lewis Richardson, where I, uh, uh, on two pages, outlined why exactly Blavatnik is not a savory and, and good figure uh, and this for, was for, published. For university. And this was published in the Guardian. Just so. Uh, no, that was actually published. Uh, I just published on on social media, and I passed it to several journalists. And that's exactly the most interesting point. Uh, uh, so there was uh, almost nothing in internal exchanges about the substance and content of my letter. They didn't want to look at the facts uh, that I, I listed. Uh, that, for example, Blavatnik is mentioned in Panama Papers, that he has joint business with the, the Russian oligarch, Leon Blavatnik, uh, the, the main sponsor and the, the, the main questionable uh, uh, person that we're campaigning against. Uh, uh, so um, they didn't want to look at the, at the, at the facts of how he, exactly he's tied to Russian government. The only thing that worried them, uh, f- judging from the, the internal um, uh, redacted uh, exchanges that we got is uh, whether uh, my public letter was published anywhere or not and how much tracking it gets on social media. So uh, they uh, also, one could understand that they follow uh, f- follow our campaign very closely and they know about it very well. But the only thing that worries the administration is whether it gets uh, media attention or not. So my presumption is that which is based on previous uh, uh, previous suspicion that I had about them, is that they don't care about governance or democracy or reputation. All they care about is whether they will be put on spotlight or not. So, So, well, and and here we're speaking when you say they and them, that's Oxford University, correct? 
Yes, I, I mean specific figures uh, within Oxford administration. O- Oxford uh, University as a whole is is a big thing. I mean, it has uh, dozens of uh, administrators or even hundreds and uh, uh, probably hundreds if not thousands of tutors and uh, all sorts of associated uh, academics. Correct, so but, but this... not, not, not all of them. Not all of them are, you know, even aware of this grant, and not all of them took this decision. Of course, uh, I mean that. Uh, I, I mean <clears throat> that the informa- the response that you received came from the the top uh, decision makers at the university. Exactly. Yes, it's right. uh, dean of the Blavatnik School of Government uh, and uh, vice chancellor office, and uh, some other people from public relations office. Um, so um, they only care. Uh, so our, our petition really uh, will have force and w- will have some impact on on this uh, administration only if it gets into further spotlight. And uh, that's my main uh, conclusion. Th- these people are not interested in actual governance and democracy. Yeah, this is, this is very interesting because it sounds like uh, most any other things we see in this uh, world we live in, where what is the cost of damages? Uh, if, uh, you know, uh, somewhere, it's uh, how much Mr. Blavatnik contributed to the university? Is it like 75 million or? Yeah, 75 million. 75, pounds, but, uh, right. And yeah. when, when the amount of damage that you cause uh, to their reputation exceeds that amount, I, I guess that's when they're going to do something or some kind of p- percentage of that amount because it's $75 million is a lot of money and they just really don't seem to want to give it up and, and, and the rest is just details. Well, then if, if what you are saying is true, it means that these people are d- deeply hypocritical, they're, they're liars, and uh, because they in that case, they pretend to teach good governance and the uh, highest standards of education and uh, uh, accountability and uh, the, the audit of uh, prospective donors, as they say they do. So um, uh, then it's really horrible. It's just, uh, it just shows that uh, these people are deeply cynical and... Uh, they should not be allowed to teach young students. All right. And uh, then what is your plan of action next then to pursue this uh, goal of holding them accountable to their own standards? Well, I don't want to reveal any secrets because uh, uh, I I see that uh, they uh, have engaged a very high-level public relations people and they try to take countermeasures. Uh, so I don't want to give them, you know, I don't want them to, to be prepared. Uh, I, until uh, last year, I thought uh, we could discuss this topic on sort of friendly terms and uh, it could be a dialogue uh, centered around the substance, substance uh, of our allegations, not uh, uh, around uh, how much media attention we get. Uh, but um, you can be assured that uh, we're not dropping this campaign and uh, uh, the, I got many uh, uh, different uh, advice and suggestions from uh, people in this campaign who have all sorts of um, uh, proposals of what we should do next. And uh, there are um, many institutions in, in Britain and uh, uh, elsewhere who, uh, you know, who have a stake in this. All right. And then, Ilya... Uh 
how can people learn more about this if they want to go online or get in touch with you? Uh, oh, what's the information? Uh, the, uh, they, they could uh, obviously read our petition at uh, change.org, and if they just uh, put in search uh, uh, panel uh, the word Oxford or Blavatnik uh, or Putin, they will probably very quickly find our petition. Uh, also, they can just uh, contact me directly at uh, um, either through Facebook, Twitter, uh, or uh, my email. It's uh, uh, you, you just search for Ilya Zaslavsky, uh, I-L-Y-A is my first name, and Zaslavsky, Z-A-S-L-A-V-S-K-I-Y. And uh, um, I'll, I'll uh, re- reply... Uh, as soon as I can, I uh, actually most of the signatures that I got on our petition, I did it through one-on-one uh, uh, conversations with people. Uh, so we we have almost 500 uh, signatures. It's not a lot, but uh, you you should know that uh, most of these people have good knowledge of the situation, and I talked with most of them. Uh, and uh, there are many, I would say, um, quality people in the sense that they care about this issue. They are either experts on Russia or they are concerned academics, uh, activists, uh, dissidents. So you would be in a good company if, if you sign this petition. That's a good sell. Um, I, I, I hope that for it to be effective, um, those people don't need to be the, actually the ones that uh, – the dean of the Blavatnik School of Governance cares about their opinions because I wonder if those are two different sets of people. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I wish you success in, in getting this addressed because I, I think it is important that when a college or university states to have a code of ethics and uh, teaches certain uh, you know values that they're able to uh, uphold those values themselves. I think it's, it's important. Uh, now, absolutely. I, could, I couldn't agree more. And also, I should uh, be more um, – uh, I should clarify. Uh, indeed, uh, the, to sign this petition, you don't have to uh, – you, all you have to do is care about democracy in Britain and the uh, negative uh, influence of Russian oligarchs in the West because that's really what this petition is about. It's not only about Oxford or Blavatnik. Definitely not uh, a narrow story connected just to Oxford. Uh, And we have uh, signatures from around 20 countries uh, and from cities all around the world, uh, English-speaking, European, Russian, Soviet. And um, I was amazed to see just... uh, the, the extent of this um, support from really around the uh, literally from around the world. All right. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM uh, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is The Edge, and the program is Rashkin Report. I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin, and I'm speaking with Ilya Zaslavsky, a researcher for Free Russia Foundation. Um, Ilya, we would be not doing justice to the topic of foreign affairs in Russia and pretty much almost anything if we didn't mention President-elect Trump. Um what do you expect, uh, what is your opinion on how this election is going to affect relationship between Russia and America going forward for the next, let's say, four years? Well, there are many different opinions now. No one knows for sure. No one knows who will be in the next administration. 
so there is a lot of speculation going around. My personal view is that um, Trump is ready for some sort of uh, good-looking deal with um, Putin. Uh, they're going to take, they're going to meet one-on-one pretty soon, and uh, there will be lots of uh, photos of them uh, smiling at each other and shaking hands. Uh, but how um, superficial this deal will be or not, um, I don't know. I think uh, probably not all-encompassing and solving all issues on Syria and Ukraine at once. Uh, more like um, something that just sends a good message and as if they achieved something. But um, uh, I don't think it will be a lasting deal. Um, I expect the more... Uh, Trump's new administration sinks in and learns about uh, learns details about Russian um, subversive activity in um, around the world and uh, in the West specifically. The more it will get sort of sober and um, will have to think beyond um, superficial deals. So, in short, I expect some warming up in the first half of next year and then more um, cautious um, interaction Um, and a lot will depend on uh, Putin's activity I think Uh, I think Trump will as previous administrations Trump will actually be quite reactive to Putin's uh, actions in uh, rather than proactive he will be reactive to his actions in um, Europe and Ukraine in uh, Syria, um, and if uh, I mean, if there is something like uh, downing of an airplane or bombing of hospitals again, or some sort of major, uh, major c- catastrophes in Ukraine, then um, Trump will be forced by Congress, by public opinion, to uh, n- to. To, n- not to be friends with Putin on that. So um, I, uh, I'm expecting, I mean, both previous administrations, Obama's and Bush, uh, they tried to do some sort of res- reset. And that's what they've been claiming at the beginning of their administrations uh, vis-a-vis Russia. And then nothing really worked out of that. So why should Trump be that much different? Um, all right. Ilya, it's, uh, I, I should note that you are a former employee of TNKBP. You have experience with uh, oil and, and uh, fossil fuels. Uh, what is your thoughts on Trump's as a policy or potential impact, possible impact? Nobody really knows. Um, but do, uh, is in the industry, do you feel they're optimistic about fossil fuels? Are they thinking fracking everything now? Or, or what's likely the direction to be of energy in any thought of uh, kind of y- your point of view? I mean, in, inside the United States, um, uh, Trump will probably lobby for even um, uh, less regulation uh, and less restrictions uh, for oil and gas industry. So <clears throat> I, for example, expect that uh, the U.S. will start to be an ex- a, a major exporter of oil and gas, uh, at least uh, in um, – vis-a-vis countries that are not far away from from the states. Um, 
but uh, how his administration will influence global oil um, and gas um, market, uh, it's very difficult to really um, forecast because um, uh, there are just too many factors involved. Um, for example, if he truly upsets uh, deal uh, with Iran on uh, its nuclear deal, uh, n- nuclear industry and uh, uh, if he reintroduces sanctions on Iran, then uh, that could really uh, push the price up. But um, if um, if he gives a free hand uh, for U.S. companies to export oil and gas, and if he allows Iraqi production to go up, um, then the price could go down. And the price movement will really be the main factor that influences the energy sector, not uh, any particular um, uh, political decisions of one country. But uh, um, currently, the oil market is quite depressed, and uh, there is uh, a rush uh, between product producers for for markets, and it's uh, really a buyer's market. Um, and it looks like, at least uh, um, in the medium term, it, it, it will probably remain like that. All right. Ilya, in the meantime, as we are discussing the potential impact of the relationship between uh, Russia and America, the things in Russia itself are not really improving. In fact, if anything, they're getting worse. And uh, for with a, with a constant need for new enemies uh, and uh, Syria more and more in ruins, it seems that no one is safe in Russia. And uh, there is a growth of uh, repressions, uh, something that Russia really hasn't seen uh, in quite some time. Now, some would say back to Brezhnev, which is maybe 60s, 70s, even 80s. But there's also a more severe wave of repressions. And we're talking about 1920s, 1930s, you know, closer to the time of the Soviet Revolution. And then, of course, under Stalin. So... Uh, how do you view the situation now? Because there's really two levels, and there's the level that we're seeing of uh, everyday people who maybe are uh, become an unpleasantness in the life of a police officer, and they just disappear. Uh, versus, uh, you know, so so kind of t- lawlessness. But at the same time, there's a higher level of these repressions, which affects uh, business interests of various oligarchs that are surrounding Putin. Um, how do you see the picture developing and how worried are you? How worried should people be in, in Russia about the situation? Uh, I mean, these are a lot of questions. Um, but, um, I mean, the, the major thing that everyone discusses this week is um, uh, abrupt arrest of uh, um, Minister of Economy, Ulukaev. Um, and uh, that indeed reminds of 1930s because he was arrested in the middle of the night um, very likely under through a fabrication um, uh, organized by um, security personnel of uh, Rosneft um, where in 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 whose office uh, Olukaev supposedly tried to take a bribe uh, for his decision for his approval of um, Prioritization of um, Bashneft by Rosneft. Uh, in my view, uh, 
this case reminds uh, very much the case of uh, Nik- uh, Governor Nikita Bilich, who was also, um, it seems like he was set up uh, for taking a bribe. Uh, and that was a message to governors uh, and sort of... And that, that was like maybe a less than a year ago, a few months ago? Yeah, it was a few months ago. It was just um, not not so... Not so. It was this year, and uh, um, now this this story with Lukayev it just shows that uh, a lot of top officials in the government are bugged, and they are followed under no specific uh, case really. And um, uh, I cannot interpret it other than it's um, as an intimidation campaign, and as a signal to all the apparatchiks and uh, officials working in the government, that nobody is safe. That even I just, f- just looked Sorry? it up. Nikita, Nikita Bilik was arrested on Friday, 24th of June this past yep. year. So they, yep. there's definite escalation. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And uh, one should know that it's it was uh, uh, the same uh, security guy from Rosneft uh, called Fiaktistov who was also involved in the case of Bilik. So it's uh, practically the same people doing this. There. Um, and uh, basically, it's uh, the, 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 this whole chain of uh, events, I, I see them as connected and uh, um, as a signal to, to top officials that uh, now even uh, federal ministers can, can uh, get arrested under uh, fabricated uh, reasons. And uh, that really reminds of, um, like, uh, if not 1937, it's uh, very close to, say, 1935 or 1934 in Soviet Union. Right. And it's not that the situation has gotten drastically better in 1938. It's just the peak of the repressions uh, yep. happened to be in 1937. Um, we don't yeah. yet see uh, massive purges or massive repressions, but we see that they're escalating and um, no one knows how how wide this intimidation campaign can get. And yet the interesting thing to me is that the corruption is really not even in question by anybody involved um, in the sense that uh, at least average Russian, I would say, uh, I I would suspect, would uh, expect these types of officials to be taking bribes. That that's not you know is, is that connected to why they are arrested or you know because it seems like people view the situation differently um, uh, from what the reality may be I guess because he was not he was not sacked for being corrupt everyone is expected being to be corrupt but he was somehow selected um, uh, yes I mean it very much reminds there it's. Uh, it's the same parallel with 1930s. Uh, most of the people purged then were arrested for sabotage or uh, supposed uh, espionage. Um, and uh, most people in the government that understood that it's uh, th- these are f- fake reasons. Um, no one believed that you know people would spy for Australia or New Zealand or uh, want to dig a tunnel to Milan or you know, was sabotaging uh, uh, Russian production. But uh, some people in the, I guess, less educated and 
not directly involved in in the politics, uh, just regular blue collar workers or uh, peasants. They probably some of them believed in this genuinely. So the same thing with uh, Russia today. Um, uh, some some people, um, re- regular people, they believe that Ulukaev is corrupt, and that's probably helpful for Putin in his uh, as a start of his presidential campaign for 2018. And uh, at the same time, it sends a signal uh, to a more sophisticated class of apparatchiks that. Uh, we, if necessary, will fabricate you under even most absurd um, uh, cases, if if, if if we want to. Uh, my father, or my grandfather, actually was uh, arrested in the, in the late 1930s, and uh, the detective the, that was leading his case said that basically you can write whatever you want as your accusation. You know, you're guilty. Mm-hmm. And uh, my understanding is that my grandfather wrote that he was trying to poison fish in Moscow River. Um, exactly, so. exactly. So it's um, the, 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 it's almost as absurd these days because for Minister Ulukaev, who everybody knows he's a timid uh, technocrat, uh, for him to intimidate Igor Sechin and Rosneft and ask a very small bribe of $2 million by by Russian corruption standards and to go and get them physically himself uh, from Rosneft's office, all of that is just absurd. Uh, No one sane would believe that uh, a reasonable person like Ulukaev would would get himself involved in any of this, Uh, especially intimidating Igor Sechin. So... um, I have no doubt that this case is fabricated. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. My guest is Ilya Zaslavsky, who is a researcher with Free Russia Foundation. And uh, we're speaking about the current state of affairs um, as, as, as the world, as the time, as Russia is today. Uh, Ilya, the, the, one of the major differences between late 1930s in Russia and what is going on today is that the borders, Russian borders, remain open, uh, at least for most, and uh, and more and more people are leaving. And it seems like there is uh, quite a diaspora building outside of Russia of Russian-born uh, people. Uh, there is obviously some impact in Silicon Valley and uh, uh, and other places, but Russians are now all over the world. Um, and uh, I find that there's uh, different conferences and meetings and meetups and, and, and those kinds of things as the Russian diaspora is attempting to, uh, in a way, organize itself and perhaps even unite. Uh, you managed to be at a couple of these uh, conferences in the last couple of months in Berlin and in Vilnius, uh, Lithuania. Uh, what can you share with us about uh, what, are the, what are these efforts like and what, what's their potential? Uh- Yes, indeed. I, I attended two opposition fora uh, uh, in October. One in Berlin, that was uh, Nimtsov um, uh, Forum, uh, named after Boris Nimtsov, who was ass- assassinated uh, last year. Um, and second one was uh, Free Russia Forum um, uh, in Vilnius. Um, 
which was already um, uh, a second event like that. Uh, the first uh, Vilnius Forum was earlier uh, this year. Um, I would say that um, uh, the, there were some similarities between the two fora um, in the sense that they want to organize um, Russian uh, activists and uh, different uh, uh, political figures and experts outside of Russia. And, I mean, they both uh, both um, platforms were quite um, successful uh, in that. I, I, in Berlin, we had more people uh, from Moscow uh, and more sort of high-level people and those who came from a very wide range of uh, different opposition parties uh, of uh, many people from Yablaka, um, uh, from... Uh, uh, Parnas party from um, uh, different, uh, very very different organizations, uh, and it was sort of uh, more in in that sense it was more high level and and just literally more people around four hundred people, as far as I could count. Uh, 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 in Vilnius, um, it was um, more activists and. Uh, uh, Parnas and Yablka were hardly represented, just maybe one or two people. And um, uh, it, uh, it, it was sort of more grassroots and uh, m- many more debates and many more interactive um, uh, presentations rather than just sort of um, uh, lectures and panel, uh, panel discussions uh, in Berlin who, who were... Um, I think less interactive. Uh, they, they, I mean, you could still ask questions from the floor, but uh, uh, a bit less interactive. Um, I mean, both both events showed that there are huge divisions uh, between Russians from Russia, especially on the questions or on the questions like uh, wh- wh- whether one should participate in um, rigged elections or not. That was probably the biggest. Um, question of contention, but I saw divisions between uh, people from Moscow and St. Petersburg and uh, Moscow and regions. I saw divisions between um, uh, emigres and those who want to, who insist on actively resisting the regime from inside Russia uh, and so forth. I mean, the amount of polarization and uh, divisions is is very big. Uh, At the same time, what I, what was positive for me is that both um, platforms suggested that um, uh, Russians should learn to talk to each other. Uh, they should compromise uh, within a position. And uh, most positive was that uh, both uh, both uh, platforms suggested that uh, sh- the activities of Russian emigrants, they should be tapped into and that this activity should be increased and encouraged. And uh, there were some specific projects uh, um, that were announced. So as far as I could understand, the Nimtsov Foundation received uh, some um, support from uh, local German and European organizations and they're going to carry out uh, uh, research and uh, many different uh, um, uh, sociological uh, uh, 
overviews and reports and uh, panel discussions, and they they plan to make this a regular event, at least in Berlin. As far as Vilnius uh, is concerned, they promise to create a database of Russian activists and experts living outside of Russia, and they also promised to have research. Um, and they uh, thought that, uh, I mean, both both places discussed that these events should happen not only in Vilnius and Berlin, but uh, throughout the Western world. So, um, I mean, um, at, uh, as f- at least these ideas are, uh, as ideas, they, they are good. Uh, how well they will be implemented, we'll, we'll have to see. I think that's that's a very optimistic approach, and uh, I, at the same time, fairly realistic, because I think it is important for people to talk to each other. And uh, one of the things that I think for people in the West is hard to understand is just how disconnected, disunited, ununited, separated are uh, people in Russia for a variety of reasons, in, including um, the, the a lot of help from uh, security services that basically wants to make sure that people don't trust each other. And uh, as as they leave, they you know they seem to kind of maintain that mindset of uh, not not you know. Plus, you never know who is working with Russian state, I suppose. So it's uh, it's a very difficult environment, I would imagine. But yet, um, you know, all the kind of all the more reasons why there is so much. I feel great Russian literature is because uh, sometimes the only way to express your frustrations is, is through art and, and other events that not actual governing or governance, but perhaps one day, one day. Uh, Ilya, thank you so much for uh, filling us in on what's going on. Any, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I, I agree. There is a lot of infiltration and uh, difficulties within Russian opposition, but um, um, one positive thing is that, uh, that which I personally feel is that uh, we can actually, as a, uh, as an opposition movement, we can actually achieve a lot in counteracting Russian influence, at least outside of Russia. So uh, the more we expose um, Russian subversive activity, I mean, I would call it Kremlin subversive activity in the West, uh, the better it's both for the West and Russia. And that's exactly what um, activists like me want to do. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks, thanks for having me. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. listening to Rashkin Report.